It's so good to see you here this morning. If you can be seated, I love that song. I love all those songs that we sang. That last song always reminds me, God's going to set everything straight one day. <laughs> and I'm glad he's going to do it. We need him to do it, amen? Y'all turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18, if you would begin reading with me in verse 23. Now the Lord, is most every scholar believes this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. There were three angelic visitors that came and he spoke as the Lord to Abraham. And he's telling him what he's about to do. He's telling Abraham that uh, the, the, the stench, basically, of Sodom and Gomorrah and their sin has reached up to heaven. And he's come down to judge to bring judgment. And I want you to read with me in verse 23, but well, before we do, Abraham has a nephew that lives there. Shouldn't live there, but he did live there. And he was a righteous man. Lot was. And Abraham, because God's a friend of Abraham, comes and shares with Abraham what he's about to do. Abraham, as an intercessor that he is, begins to intercede on behalf of the righteous that may be in that city, that they would be spared, including his nephew. So we'll read in verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? This is our verse for today, our main verse. That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? It's a rhetorical question. We know the answer to it. Is not the judge of all the earth going to do right? He will. Is he not going to do right in your life? Circumstances and conflicts and things like that, will, will he in the end not do what's right and judge righteously and rightly? He will. You can count on it. You can believe it. Jesus, even in his earthly life, when he was on the cross, it said he, when he was reviled, he didn't revile again, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Even Christ. The word here where he says, shall not, the end of verse 25, where Abraham's He's pleading with the Lord. You're not going to kill the righteous just as though they were wicked with the wicked. You're not going to lump them all together and judge them all the same way. That'd be far from thee. So Abraham, Abraham was a friend of God. And Abraham knew the Lord. And he knew his character and his nature. And that's what we need to know. Even if we're Christians, we need to know the Lord and know his goodness and his heart and his character and nature. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He's asking. And, and he's pleading with the Lord based on his righteousness and his righteous judgment. And so the word there in the Hebrew, you know, how you go through Scripture and uh, there's Lord the Creator and there's Jehovah, our banner, and there's different Jeho names for Jehovah. Well, here the, the Lord is being revealed in a new name right here in Genesis 18. Shall not the judge of all the earth, that is Jehovah Shaphat. And that is the Lord, the righteous judge. 
the Lord, the righteous judge. Righteous judge. Hallelujah. There is a righteous judge. Amen? What does the word judge mean in a verb sense? To judge. And it is this word here. It means to pronounce sentence, sentence for or against. To vindicate or punish. To rule or to govern. So last week, we're, we're doing a study on the doctrine of Christ. Christ, the man, the Son of God, the Son of Man, okay? We're doing a study on the doctrine of Christ, and the last several weeks and continue today, we're looking at ministries of the Lord, the ministry of Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of the world. He's the healer. He's the deliverer. He's our high priest and intercessor. Last week, we talked about him being our soon-and-coming king. He is going to king, and in that reign of his, and, and right in conjunction with his reign as king, he is going to reign as a righteous judge, okay? So the, the kingdom of the Lord and the fact that he's king goes hand in hand with his righteous judgment and justice that will be part of that kingdom that is part of the Lord uh, even now. He is the, the judge of all the earth. Jesus Christ is. He's the judge of all men. He's the judge of all angels. He's the judge of all nations. He's the judge of the wicked. He's the judge of the righteous. He's the judge of the great harlot that's spoken of in Babylon. He's the judge of the Antichrist. He's the judge of all those that obey not Christ in his gospel. He's the judge of his own people. He's a judge of all. And he's a righteous judge. And Peter, Peter writes this in 2 Peter. I'll just read it to you. When he's talking about these end times things and the earth's going to be dissolved with fire. He says, but the heavens and the earth that are now. Peter was on the same earth we're on right now, okay? There's a new one coming. But the heavens and the earth that are now, by the same word, that's the Lord's word, are kept in store, reserved on the fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The Lord said he never flood the world again. He is the next judgment that would be worldwide, according to the scriptures, is a fire, where the Lord's going to judge it with fire and refine it. There's a lot of parts and segments to this judgment, but he's coming to judge. And you have to, if, we, if he's going to have a, be a righteous king and have a righteous kingdom, then he's got to be just. He has to be just. We talked about it in Sunday school. You see the bumper stickers. You want, if you want peace, work for justice. All that sounds really great until you try it and you fall flat on your face because what I think is just is different than what somebody across the street thinks is just. If there's not a standard, then there's no justice. And if, if there's no justice, according to them, there's no peace. And so we need the Lord. The Lord's the only one that can establish such a righteous kingdom and it can knows the heart of every man, like we sang, and can judge perfectly. And I go back to this scripture and this whole series that we're doing on the doctrine of Christ, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 is one of the key scriptures, and I find myself going back to it every sermon, and, and because we see him as, there, in Isaiah 9, about 780 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it's a messianic prophecy about his first coming, but in that passage, it clearly shows there are two comings, which we believe in. He's come, he came once, and to the look, them that look for him the second time, the Bible says in Hebrews, he's coming again without sin, uh, you know, unto salvation. He's coming again, is my point. There's two kingdoms, two separate kingdoms, uh, two separate comings, is what I mean to say, two separate comings. And it says in Isaiah, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's clearly about the babe born in the, in the manger, right? 
And uh, his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That shows that he's God. The baby born in the major is the Everlasting Father. Don't ask me to explain it. I'm going to believe it by faith, okay? There is a trinity and one God in three persons. And it goes on to say, though, and this would speak of his second coming, the one we're looking forward to after the rapture. And it says that uh, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That's what we talked about last week. He's coming as king. Upon the throne of David and his king to order and to establish it with justice and judgment from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. God's going to do it. That's two comings, okay? And it speaks clearly in the second one that he's setting up a kingdom that's going to last forever, and it's going to be established in peace and justice and judgment forever. Who's going to do that? The Lord. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. And so the Lord judges... Jesus Christ is going to be the judge of all the earth. We're going to look at some scriptures in a moment. But about our judge that we have, he judges perfectly. He judges, his judgments are right. His judgments are true. His judgments are righteous. His judgments are fair. His judgments are equitable. Consistently and eternally, his judgments are holy And his judgments are merciful. That's a blend you can't get anywhere else other than the Lord. The last two is specifically his judgments are holy and his judgments are merciful. Aren't you glad? He doesn't doesn't wink and turn his eye and and let some unholy things slide by and, and let it go. And yet he's merciful to sinners who commit those sins that should be judged. He's merciful. He's holy, and his judgments are holy and merciful. It's an amazing thing. And all that God says and does and decrees, he is holy and he's merciful. He's not one or the other. He's not going to act a little holy over here at this moment, act a little merciful over here. He is holy all the time. He is merciful all the time. His judgments are going to be holy and merciful at the same time. That's only through Christ. And the sacrifice that he made based on his first coming, he's able to extend such mercy to sinners at his second coming. Even Ezra, I'm just going to read this. Ezra was a priest, a godly man, at the the return of the Babylonian captivity when the Israelites came out of Babylon. He was a priest, and they came back to Jerusalem, and and they were let go after the 70 years, and and there was a, a... process of time, but they rebuilding the city and the temple and the walls in Nehemiah's day. And he was, he was one that was uh, spearheading much of this work and getting the priesthood set back up the way it should be. And here's what he says about the Lord. After all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that our God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve, you will always find that. These judgments are harsh. These judgments are hard. He's always merciful. I'm not saying we get away with it at all because he's holy. I'm saying that he always, seeing that our God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve and has given to us such great deliverance. Amen. 
Ezra recognized this. The people of God, Old and New Testament, recognize the mercies of God. They're fresh and new every morning. Because, because of the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed. His compassions, they fail not, right? Lamentations. I'm going to read uh, several scriptures here. I'm just going to go from one to the other. And I just had to stop when I was studying. There were so many. But I wanted to read this. Talking about the Lord being the judge. Who and what does he judge and will he judge and how does he judge? Psalm 7 verse 8 says, The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, David says, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. Psalm 9, But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. How's he going to judge? He's going to judge the whole world in righteousness and minister judgment in uprightness. His own, his own standard of who he is. Psalm 50, in the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Selah. He's judge all by himself. He doesn't need any help. Psalm 67, oh, let the nations be glad. Sing for joy. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Psalm 72, he shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor. Won't that be nice? He's not going to judge anything wrongly. Amen? He's going to right the wrongs. For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. Psalm 135, for the Lord will judge his people. Revelation 16, 7, and I heard another out of the altar say, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Amen? True and righteous are the Lord's judgments. Psalm 96, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. I'm just going to stop there. This is something evidently, when you read in the Bible, that the righteous look for, that the righteous long for. He says, let the, let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the seas roar. Let the fields be joyful, for he comes to judge the earth. That ought to be something we look forward to. He shall judge the world with righteousness and his people with truth. Christ's judgments and judging is, is part of his reign and rule. It's part of his kingdom, as I said a moment ago, ago. And there's no perversion of the Lord's justice. We have all heard in our lifetimes, this is a perversion of justice. Right? This is a perversion of justice. Whether it was the jury that was bought off or just did what they wanted to do regardless of the evidence, whether it was a judge that was crooked. When you look back over the years in American history and you look at some of these big uh, gangsters and mafia people and so forth, uh, oftentimes they would buy off city councilmen and judges and mayors and, you know, have them in their hip pockets, so to speak, because they're on the payroll. That really happened. It still does happen. I'm not saying every city and every judge is crooked. Please understand. But with the Lord, in Job it says, Doth God pervert judgment or doth the Almighty pervert justice? He does not. 
These people that are crying for justice in the world, it's not the social justice, it's the judge of all the earth who does right. They need to come to Christ. And they don't really want justice because if they got justice, they would die in their sins and go to hell. But he's offered them a savior, okay? A savior. When, and it's not just at all in that sense, but it is just because God the Father put it all, all the sin upon Jesus. That sin has been paid for. Your sin didn't go away and vanish out into the cosmos somewhere. It was put upon Jesus. So it is just that the Father put it upon him. He'll see the righteous travail of his son and be satisfied. For my right, the, he says, through my, his righteousness shall my servant justify many. He justifies us. So it is just and merciful and holy at the same time. But it proceeds out of his own holiness. Amen. And so there's no perversion of justice with the Lord. There's no mistakes in judgment. So somebody could even be a good judge. Our parents deciding between a dispute between two children. You, you want to do right. You're not favoring one or the other. And yet you don't have all the information. You could, be a, could make an honest mistake, right? The Lord doesn't even make honest mistakes. He, he, try, he knows the heart of every man. I, the Lord, try the hearts and reins of men. He doesn't, uh, he, it's not like he doesn't, he has full disclosure. He has all knowledge and understanding. He can't be bribed, he can't be bought up, and he can't render an unjust sentence based on lack of knowledge or understanding. Amen? And so he comes to judge the world righteously and in righteousness. I want to read this. And in mercy shall the throne be established, and he shall sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment and hasting righteousness. I know it sounds repetitive, but this is part of his kingdom. And it comes, it flows out of the king. It flows out of who he is as the judge. He doesn't have to go to some books and say, let me make sure I'm getting this right. He is the judge of all the earth. And he judges, and he judges righteously, and he doesn't mess up one judgment. It's perfect, and it's just, and it's holy. And those that know the Lord are to rejoice in that. We're to rejoice in this. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to John, because we're doing uh, John chapter 5. We're actually doing a series right now, as I said, on the deity of Christ. So I want to look specifically at Jesus being judged. You know, I know that God is judged, but where does it say that Jesus shall be judged? Well, it said it in our Isaiah 9 scripture that we read, right? And it says it many places, but here are some very clear scriptures. If you're taking notes, this would be scriptures. These would be scriptures you want to, to jot down. Okay, John chapter 5. Let's begin reading in verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. So he's claiming equality with the Father and authority and power with, with the Father. Okay? For this Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. That ought to be highlighted. If you're doing a study specifically, where, where does it say Jesus is the judge and not the Father or the Holy Spirit? Uh, well, they're all one, so I'm not going to try to dissect them. But Jesus says here that all judgment has committed been committed unto the Son. Skip down to verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And hath given him, the Father has given the Son, authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of man. 
verse 30. I can of my own self do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I speak not mine own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. So Jesus is claiming equality with God, and here's another way he's claiming equality with God, that the Father has life to give, I have life to give. The Father quickeneth whom he will, I quickeneth whom I will. I have that authority and power. And we know that. We've established that in other sermons that we've talked about. But here specifically, he says that all judgment has been committed to me, but I only judge as I judge righteous judgment as I hear my Father speaking or judging, basically. And so uh, at his first coming, it's important because when Jesus walked up and down the streets, in the part, geographical part of the world where he did, the shores of Galilee and so forth, and in Jerusalem and into the temple and Bethany and all these places he went, he wasn't going around just judging people. He wasn't saying, you know, executing judgment. He's still the judge, he's, but he had, he had a specific purpose at his first coming. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to lay down his life as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He never ceased being judged, but he had a purpose at his first coming. In his first coming, he came to be the propitiation for the sins of the world, to pay that price and to be that sacrifice. He didn't come to judge earthly disputes and squabbles. He didn't come to set this nation right with that nation. They're arguing, and this king's doing this wrong to this king over here, or this king is doing wrong to the people of his kingdom. He didn't come to set any of that in order. He didn't have any protests or marches, you know, to stop the injustices of the Roman Empire. Okay? He did not do that. His first coming. All right? His first coming. He didn't come for that. He didn't come to... Uh, to condemn individual sinners to judgment. Not that they're not judged, but he didn't come for that purpose at his first coming to just judge people. I want to read some scriptures here. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? What is he saying? He's the judge of all the earth. Why wouldn't he judge this? Because he didn't come at his first judgment, I mean, first coming to decide upon an inheritance or a land dispute between two siblings. He came to die as the Savior of the world and the Lamb of God. He's coming again. There's two comings. And he came the first time to lay down his life for the sins of the world. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world. But to save the world, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. So there is the word that he spoke will be the judge of that individual. But at his coming and when he was speaking the word at that moment, he's not executing the judgment. You know, hell, 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 you know, heaven. He's not coming and judging that at the first coming. He's coming to be the savior of the world. Though he's still judge, but he came to be savior. So it looks almost like a contradict contradiction, right? And I, and that's what we read in John five. All judgment has been committed into the hands of the Son. And then we read, "I judge no man. I judge him not." He says, "I came not in the world to judge the world, but to save the world." And I think that's the key. The first coming, he came not 
to judge the world, but to save the world. It's not a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. It's a dispensation. It's a purpose of his first coming. He didn't cease being judge of all the earth. He came to be the lamb of God. That's what John the Baptist said, right? The lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. That's why he came. But Jesus said, every man will be judged by the words that I spoke. Those words will judge him in the day. You believe the gospel or not. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. Period. So it's not a contradiction. There is coming a day, though. Christ is the righteous judge. And we're going to talk about the, the judgments for the different people. He's coming a day when he's going to judge all men. You know, the people say, I don't care anything about Jesus. Don't know. Don't put me under that. You know, I don't even believe any of that stuff's true. They'll be judged by Jesus. They're not going to escape it simply because they refuse to think about it or believe it or consider it. They're not going to escape it. He's coming and he's going to judge the world in righteousness. Now, it's going to be part of his kingdom. He's going to reign and rule and judge with a rod of iron. That means it's going to be firm. It's going to be uh, strong. It's going to be not perverted. It's going to be just. It's going to be holy. He'll judge with a perfect judgment. And God the Father is going to judge by Jesus Christ, if that makes sense. Christ will be the judge. The Father will allow Christ to judge. And men will be judged by Jesus Christ. In other words, by by his life, by his words, by his miracles, by who and what he is and was and his finished work on the cross. Men will be judged and held accountable for that. I love that scripture when Paul's on, uh, in Athens on Mars Hill. Where all the who's who went to talk and talk about their latest deity or God or philosophy. Okay? And they say, what's this babbler going to say? We heard him talking about Jesus and the resurrection in the marketplaces. They basically get him and they stick him up there behind the podium. And here's all the people. What will he say? You know, and they're all just feeling like they're so wise and so above it all. And they're not. And he preaches to them. He says, because God has appointed a day. So what he's saying, he's appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. God's going to judge the world in righteousness by that one man in a specific, specific day and moment by Jesus Christ. He's the one that he gave assurance that he's the Lord when he raised him from the dead. In the, the gospel and the calling of the apostles as they went out to preach, Peter's in a Gentile's house, Cornelius' house, never been in a Gentile's house before, and sat down with him. God's showing what I've called clean. Don't you call it unclean. He's making, he's, the Gentiles are part of my plan of salvation and part of the same church you're a part of, okay? Peter says, yes, Lord, and he goes. Well, he's preaching, and as he preaches, he says, and, and he's given his testimony, basically, and said he commanded us unto the commanded us commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead or the living and the dead it was part of their gospel message that Christ is the judge and he is the judge I want you to 
want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. You know, last week in our study of him coming, being the coming king, we looked at chapter 19. All right, here we're looking at chapter 20, and it's, it's uh, at the end of the millennium. At the end of the millennial reign is what we're reading. In chapter 20, verse 11, read with me. And I saw a great white throne. This is after the thousand-year reign of rule of Christ, after the end of the tribulation, which was established, you know, at the, at the uh, second coming of the Lord. And I saw a great white throne in him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was no, found, no place found for them. And I saw the dead small and great, stand before God. Who is this? This is lost people. This is only lost people. Talking about Jesus being the judge of all the earth, lost men and saved men, enemies of Christ and the the saints of God. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Even people are called up out of, out of hell. People that have already been in hell by this time and before this time are going to be called up. Every lost man is going to show up at this judgment. Every single lost man. Death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. We have a new birth. Okay, we have a second life. The dead that die outside of Christ have a second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's a judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. I know that you've heard of it. And so every man is going to be judged on what he or she did with Jesus. Every individual. God doesn't have grandchildren. He's only got children. Everyone will be judged on what he or she did with Jesus. Here's Jesus. Somebody brings the gospel to you. This is him. This gospel, this Jesus spoken of in this Bible, okay, this word, this one, the same Jesus that went up the apostles watched on the leave the Mount of Olives is coming back in like manner. He died for our sins and rose again and ascended. What do men do with Jesus? Some believe. Hallelujah unto salvation. Some don't believe. Really, the only two choices. Some say, well, think about it later, like they did at Mars Hill. We'll ponder this over and consider the matter more. We'll hear more of this later. Only ones that got saved, as far as we know, was those that clung to, to Paul and said, we believe, we believe, we believe. Take us with you. We believe. That's the ones that are saved. Amen. They believe in the Lord Jesus. What he or she did with Jesus. Men are going to die in faith or unbelief. Men are going to die having accepted Jesus or rejecting him. Men are going to die or women in Christ or outside of Christ, in their sins or in Christ. The standard and the criteria for this judgment is not the Constitution of the United States or the Constitution of some other uh, government or the bylaws of even the church. The, ju- the standard for the judgment of all men and nations and angels and everything, men especially, will be Jesus Christ himself. What did you do with Jesus? You die in Christ or you die outside of Christ and in unbelief. For those that 
are in sin, we all were at one time, and choose to stay there, now that's a different story because they have a choice. Those that are in sin and choose to stay there and die there, for them, that's the only thing, only thing they have is the great white throne judgment. They, they love their sin, and they chose their sin, and, and they rejected Christ, and they stayed in their sin, and there will be a dread. Even in that description, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. So it's the throne and there's the judge, Jesus, from whose face earth and heaven fled away. It's a scary scene. I'm not going to lie to you. This is a sobering thought. People that have run from God all their lives and they died in their sin. And they're going to all of a sudden be called up at this moment to stand before the Lord. And they're going to have to stand there. There's not a chance of them making it to heaven at that point. They died in their sins. It's appointed to men once to die, but after this, what? The judgment. Each individual, when they die, there's a judgment. They died in their sins. They died in their sins. They died in Christ. They died in their sins. Then there's a judgment for all the lost where they're all called up. And and it says official sentencing. Your name's not found written in the book, Lamb's Book of Life. You are not here. And that's the criteria. And they're cast alive into the lake of fire. And that's where they'll spend forever. The smoke of their torment is rising up forever and ever. They died in their sins. And as a result of their unbelief and their own rejection of Christ, they basically put themselves there. They put themselves in that position because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He was after them. He was hounding them all of their lives. He was putting some things in their way to trip them up, slow them down, get their attention. Maybe a sickness, maybe a blessing, maybe another Christian coming and share the gospel, maybe mama praying for him. He was putting things in their lives. You can believe it because he's not going to be unjust when he judges. And they'll face the Lord, those that die and chose their sin. They died in their sin. To, to some people have more uh, gospel light given them to them than others. Yes, I would say that some people do. But all have an opportunity to give their life to the Lord. Okay, if happily men will seek after him, the Bible says. So they die in their sin because they chose their sin and rejected Christ. They'll face him one way. They won't face him as friend. They won't face him as Savior and Redeemer. And, oh, he's my good shepherd, and he brought me through. So he's my healer. He, he's my advocate that interceded for me. They, they'll face him as judge. They'll face him at that judgment where heaven and earth are fleeing away from the, the presence of God. And they'll spend eternity separated from the Lord. The Bible says, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. For we know him that it said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the kings of the earth, this is in tribulation. I'm bringing this to a close in the tribulation period. The kings of the earth, there are going to be kings during the tribulation. They're going to be gathered for the most part under Antichrist to come against Jerusalem. That's going to bring it to the climax when the Lord comes back again, the second coming. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free. So this is like rulers and who's who. 
and this is every bondman. The Lord's no respecter of persons. You can be rich and wicked. You can be poor and wicked. You know, you can be rich and give your life to Christ and be saved. You can be poor and give your life to Christ and be saved. It doesn't matter. Every, all the mighty men, every bondman, every free man hid themselves in the dens and rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. Who shall be able to stand? Well, only those in Christ are going to be able to stand. So let's talk about it. We looked at the great white throne judgment quickly. The, thr- the righteous, those that are in Christ, born again. You know it and the Lord knows it. And there's only two that really need to know it. We ought to have fruit and evidence of our lives. Those men that are in Christ, we're looking forward to the day. We're not dreading the judgment of the Lord. We're looking for the day when the righteous judge of all the earth is going to come. And what's he going to judge? He's going to judge the earth. He's going to judge the wicked. He's going to judge the enemies of Christ and so forth and the false and the lies and the, the liars and their lies. He's going to set it all straight. Arise, O God, judge of the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Uh, uh, Jeremiah was longing for the Lord. O Lord, thou hast seen my wrong. Judge thou my cause. People that know the Lord and walk with the Lord, we're longing for the Lord to come and judge. Amen? We're looking forward to the day. Because to me, the, the greatest thing as far as everything around us, circumstances, people, governments, militaries, religions he's going to set the wrong right he's going to he's going to what needs to be put down will be put down what needs to be put up and remain and established will be established and remain he is going to judge it and he's going to judge it rightly and correctly and when we when he had opened the fifth seal i saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of god they're going to be tribulation martyrs People that get saved during the tribulation and die for the Lord during the tribulation. They were slain for the word of God and for their testimony, which they held. They cried with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. The people of God are longing for, the, for God to set things right. Well, we look around and we say it's not right. It's not fair. That's not right. That's not just. That's ungodly. That's wicked. Not that we're excusing ourselves. We have to go to the Lord for our own sins and go, repent to the Lord as even as believers. God, forgive me for this. I did what, was, what wasn't right or godly. And we come to the Lord. But we're looking for the Lord to come and judge. Where will the believer come? I'm going to try to bring this to a close. Where will the believer stand? Talking about the believer, okay? Those that are born again, there is a judgment seat of Christ. It is called the believer's judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. In the Greek, it's the bema seat, okay? And so there is a bema seat where the people that are saved and born again and in Christ, we will be judged. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, Jesus took all our sins upon him. Yes, he did. We're not judged for salvation. We're not judged for salvation. At the judgment seat of Christ, heaven and hell are not on the table. Heaven and hell is not the issue. What will a believer be judged for then? Every man, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will be judged for our works. Plain and simply, 
there for our works. Every man's work shall be tried by fire. Some will remain. Silver, gold, precious stones. Some will be burned up, wood, hay, and stubble. But everybody at that, every person at that judgment is going to heaven. They're going to heaven. It even says so. Some will make it by the skin of their teeth, and by they're saved by fire and through the trial, but they're going in. Nobody at the great white throne judgment, there's no mess ups, and they're going to get a redo and go, go to heaven, or God made a mistake and they should, really should have been in heaven instead of hell. Everybody at the great white throne judgment is read, their name's read out of one book. Your, your name's not found written in the book of life. Well, the Lord knew that before that judgment. He's pronouncing their sentence upon them, and they're cast alive into the lake of fire. 100% lost. Here at the judgment seat of Christ, 100% saved. We're not saved based on, uh, I mean, we're not tried or judged based on our eternity and where we're going to spend eternity. Were our sins forgiven? Are our sins forgiven? Our works, okay? Our works. And nobody is going to escape whatever judgment it is they're going to. They're not going to escape. I charge thee before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. It's not one judgment. It's not one general judgment like we get the pictures uh, mistakenly in maybe cartoons or movies or whatever. And everybody stands at St. Peter's Gate and he lets some in and lets kick some out that don't make it in. And it's not like they're going to be wondering at that moment, do they get in or not? Did I do enough good works? It's not like it's in Christ. The criteria is Jesus. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Period. That's it. My works as a pastor, your works as a believer, as a mother, father, husband, Christian, will be tried. Why'd you do that, Randy? Did you do it to be seen of men? Did you do it because people patted you on the back? Did you do it for paycheck? Did you do it? Why did you do that? If the ulterior motive that's not sincere and pure, that'll be burned up. I'll suffer loss. Something I thought I would have gained, I'll suffer loss for that. But I'm going to heaven, right? And we can live in such a way that we're not ashamed of his coming. We can live in such a way that we're not afraid of his coming. Nobody's going to escape that coming judgment. I'm going to close with this. Dean, you can come up. You know, talking about being... We're saved, we're saved only on the basis of Christ's righteousness and our belief in him. I know that I'm making that point very clear, but it's no merit of our own. I don't care if you've been saved for 75 years, and like I've said before, and die on the mission field for the Lord. You're not saved because of those merits and even your service to the Lord. You're saved by the blood of the Lamb. Some through the fire, some through the flood, some through the great trials, but all through the blood, right? According all the blood of Jesus. And that's only, but we will be judged according to our works. The seven churches in Revelation, seven churches that were real churches in Asia at the time that John was writing the book of Revelation. He saw Jesus walking through the churches and to all of them, he says, I know thy works. I know thy works. I know thy works. He didn't say you need to be born again. He says, I know your works. You need to repent to some of the church. You need to repent and do what's right. Because he was speaking to people that had trusted in him. I know thy works. 
Paul said, henceforth, the very last chapter, the last book that he wrote before he was beheaded, I know thy works. I mean, the Lord, he says, henceforth, there's later for me a crown of righteousness, not for me only. He says, with the Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge, has prepared for me, but not for me only, but all those that love his appearing. He's the righteous judge, and we don't dread his appearing, and we don't dread his judgment because of the safety that we have in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the security. Then on top of that, we can live in such a way that the Bible says that we're not ashamed at his coming. Mm-hmm. I could be saved and washed in the blood of Jesus and assured of going to heaven and still be ashamed at his coming. He shows up and I'm sitting at home with a remote in my hand watching something I ought not watch. I'm going to be ashamed at his coming. I'm hanging out with people that I shouldn't hang out with and friends and listening to the things and saying things and laughing at things I shouldn't. I'd be ashamed at his coming. I hadn't prayed or read my Bible in the last six weeks because I was too busy or didn't feel like it, and it was football season, and I wanted to watch all the games. I'm going to be ashamed at his coming. You understand the point. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus, but we, we can live in such a way that when our judge comes and we're judged, we don't have to suffer great loss. You don't have to. Every day is like a fresh new start. Even if I, for the last five years have done something I shouldn't have done as a believer, I can come today and be forgiven. That won't be brought up at the judgment seat of Christ. It'll be under the blood of Jesus. My motive was on pure and teaching a Sunday school class. I can come to this altar and say, God, forgive me. That won't be brought back up again at the judgment. It won't be judged at the believer's judgment. It'll be under the blood of Jesus. So we can have a, a wonderful, a wonderful, uh, fearless, I guess you would say, Tom, where we're being judged if we're every day examining ourselves and examining our hearts before the Lord. I'll close with this verse, and y'all can stand. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. So there's a boldness that we can have in the day of judgment. John's talking to Christians. He's including himself. We may have boldness in the day of judgment. It's because of Christ. It's because of Christ, our righteous judge, and the blood of Jesus that's washed us clean, and our obedience to the Lord and walking with the Lord. These altars are open. Father, we come before you. And God, we thank you that you are the righteous judge, the judge of all the earth. And like Abraham said in Genesis 18, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes, 